But yeah, we're into week three of the Beast Rich series, as Craig just said. And um, yeah, we're going to add another layer to what we've learned so far. So firstly, I want to thank Pastor Craig and Pastor Trinity, firstly, for trusting me to speak, and secondly, uh, for laying the foundation of the series so far. So we're going to add another layer on that this morning. Um, it's going to be good. So if you weren't here, I really encourage you to go and listen to the first two weeks because you need that understanding um, to add this next layer. Uh, hopefully it still makes sense. Week one, we talked about being rich and what matters most. And so money promises what only God can provide. And um, we don't need more money. We need more of Jesus. Uh, week two, we talked about being a rich giver. Uh, rich givers give strategically and sacrificially. And so we give God our first and our best, and then we trust him to bless the rest of our resources. And so the key verse for the series, you probably know it off by heart by now. It's Paul writing to Timothy, and it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. And it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that part because God wants us to live a blessed life. He wants us to enjoy the resources that we have. Um, and we've learned this series, even though it's called Be Rich, we've learned so far that we already are rich. And so God wants us to enjoy that. Um, chapter, uh, verse 18, sorry, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I love that last part as well. We're going to focus in on verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to become self-centered in our spending and just in our everyday life? Sometimes the more stuff that we have, the more we can tend to focus inwardly. Um, and we have these dreams even as we grow. Uh, I remember when I was young, and I don't know if you're the same, that when I get a job, I'm going to buy some new clothes, or in my case, shoes, because I love shoes. Um, we're going to maybe buy a first car. And then as we grow older, our dreams tend to get bigger. And when we get older, we can say, when I get a pay rise or when I get a better job, I'm going to upgrade the house or get a new car or basically get better stuff, if we're really honest, right? Um, and so our dreams can kind of revolve around money and grow as our income grows. But Paul says in this passage that it's not the best way to be rich. We should be rich by being generous or willing to share and by doing good deeds and helping others. So I want to ask you a question, and I found this challenging for myself. How rich are you in good deeds and helping others? Are you rich in good deeds? Are you average in good deeds? I think that I may fall into that category if I'm really honest. Or are you poor in good deeds? Because, you know, sometimes it's easy to forget that serving others is actually really close to God's heart. And it's what we're called to do as his followers. And so it's so easy to be self-centered in our spending. But I think that that's why it's a funny concept to me to be rich by serving others. You know, if I think about being rich, I pretty much think of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I'm hoping that you know that program. 
But you know, I think of someone who's well-to-do, who doesn't have to worry about doing the cooking or cleaning or the washing. Um, I can identify with not wanting to do that. Um, you know, a person of leisure. Um, yeah, I personally dream that I will one day be able to get somebody else to, to worry about the washing, because <laughs> it's the bane of my existence. And if you have children, you'll know what I mean. Um, so when I imagine a rich person, I don't think of them serving others, but I think of them being served. But that's not how it works here. And you'll find a lot of kingdom principles are really countercultural to what we find in the world. And so being rich is about so much more than money in the kingdom of God. And to be rich in good deeds, we have to understand and agree upon one foundational principle. And if you miss this, you'll miss the whole point of the message. So listen up and maybe write it down. I always encourage people to write, take notes. And that is that we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. I'll say that again, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. And this is really vital to our understanding of being rich in good deeds because we've learned so far that we already are rich and how can we steward that the way that God wants us to do. And I love what Chris shared this morning and I feel like we have the same one energy of Enneagram vibes. If you don't know what that is, it's not like a horoscope, don't worry. Um, ask MJ after, she'll tell you all about it. But um, it's not about checking boxes to become saved. We don't get saved by just attending church or, you know, we tick off these boxes, but that's not how we be saved. It's through Jesus. We don't just tick off, okay, attend church, tick. Read the Bible, tick. Tithe 10%, tick. Stop sinning, tick. Be a nice person, tick. Um, and all those things are great, but that's not how we are saved. We are not saved by our good works, and all those things are good works. We are saved for good works. We're not saved by being good, but by doing good. We're saved to do good, sorry. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ, Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, that's pretty clear. It's not good works that save us, but we are created to what? To do good. Okay, two people are getting this this morning. <laughs> to do good works or to do good deeds. Um, and God has those good works prepared in advance. I love that last part of the verse. And um, I feel like a bit of a geek because last time I preached, I talked about spreadsheets and software, and now I'm talking about to-do lists, but um, you can look at it as a, like a divine to-do list. Who loves a to-do list? Just out of thank you, I'm not the only one. I have multiple on the go, and there's a real satisfaction about checking stuff off the list, right? Um, I have been known to, if I do something that's not on the list, to add it to the list so that I can check it off. Does anybody? Yeah, because it feels good. But God has a to-do list for us, and that's for when the opportunity arises to bless someone, to do a good deed, that we can say, yes, that's on my list, and tick it off. We have a divine to-do list of good deeds that the scripture said God has prepared in advance for us to do, and we can choose to say yes to those. 
Um, and that's even more satisfying to me than checking off lists for cleaning the house and buying food, right? And you might say, well, actually, Anna, I'm going through a hard time. Um, but sometimes the best time to give is when you are going through those hard seasons because it helps us to see outside ourselves. And the cool thing is that lots of good deeds don't even have to cost any money. Encouraging others is free. You know, if you see someone who's looking a bit down or might not be enjoying their job or their day or their life, um, can you say, yes, that's on my list, and encourage someone? Making conversation is free. You know, someone you see lonely or just needs to, to talk to someone, can you make them feel seen by just chatting to them, taking a few minutes out of your day? Can you say, yes, that's on my list? Can you make a meal for someone? Can you offer to babysit? Can you buy someone a coffee? That one's not free. Um, other times, like we learnt last week, our giving can be sacrificial, and so it will re require money. But what can you say yes to? I'm sure that some things are popping into your head right now. Of what could you do to bless someone this week? What might be on your divine to-do list? Are you an amazing baker? We, had, we have an amazing young lady in our church called Nairi, and if you, some of you will already know what I'm going to talk about, but she used to make the most amazing apple pies that you will ever taste. Yeah, see, they know what I'm talking about. And she would literally, she only had a little car, granted, but she would bake bootfuls of apple pies and if you got tapped on the shoulder at church on Sunday to say that you could go and get one out of her boot, then you were like the chosen. And sometimes I would be like, you know, just like go a little bit closer to her to see if she would say the same thing to us. But those apple pies were on Nairi's divine to-do list and they were really divine. Are you gifted at gardening? Are you good with cars? Could you fix somebody's car that they're having trouble with? I saw this really cool post on social media and this woman who had a car full of kids and she was on her way to do school drop-offs and she got a flat tire. And who knows, in Auckland that would be really stressful. And this couple pulled over and helped her out. And the husband changed her tire and it also involved her son who was really curious and wanted to know what was going on. And at the time, she didn't know that the man that changed her tire was David Tua, a heavyweight boxer. And that really warmed my heart because no matter who we are or what we've done or how much money we have or how little money we have, we can all be rich in good deeds. So what's on your list? What can you say, yes, that's on my list to bless someone? So with that in mind, I want to share three quick principles for being rich in good deeds. And if you're taking notes, the first one is that my good deeds should point to God and not me. Because our good deeds we've just learnt are planned in advance for us to do by God, then he should get the glory. And our good deeds might be the only experience that a person has with the heart of God. And our job is to point people to him. We don't do good deeds to be the hero, um, but to point others in the direction of God. Uh, many years ago, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I was at Parachute Festival and I knew this really handsome guy who's now my husband. Um, 
he was working as a volunteer and he took me on this quad bike ride. Um, don't worry, there was a third wheel so it wasn't that romantic, but it was a beautiful clear night and all of the stars were out. And so as we were driving around all the dirt roads around the, the site, he pointed out the Southern Cross. And I'd seen that before, I was like, oh yeah, that's nice. Um, but then he pointed out two other stars that I hadn't really noticed before, and that he called them the pointers. And so they're really bright, I don't know how I hadn't noticed them before. And they're sitting just below the Southern Cross and they point in the direction of the, the top of the cross. Um, and so he likened it to the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the two pointers are pointing towards the cross. And so every time I see those stars I think of that and how everything we do, everything the Father and the Holy Spirit do is pointing us to the cross. And so everything that we can do can be the same, to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's us. We are the light of the world. And like those stars that pointed to the Southern Cross, our purpose is to let our light shine in order to bring attention and point people to Jesus. So my good deeds should point to God and not me. And the second principle is my good deeds must help in the way that people need it, not the way I want to give it. And that just comes down to choosing the good deed that's fit for the occasion. You know, if somebody you see has run out of petrol, you don't go down to the petrol station and then bring back coffee because what they need is petrol, right? If someone's moving house, you don't turn up with a box of your old junk. Um, you turn up because what they need is empty boxes and some cleaning supplies and your help. So you turn up with empty boxes and cleaning supplies and some elbow grease. Or you could turn up with all of those things plus coffee. Can I get an amen? Well, I got amen for coffee. Cool. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 verse 38b says, Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It says even there, what did Jesus go around doing? Good. But he got down to people's level and he met them where they were at and he saw their needs and he met those needs. Take the lame man for example. He didn't rock up to this guy who couldn't walk and turn water into wine because, you know, if he couldn't walk then at least he could have a drink of wine. No, he saw that this man needed to be healed and he healed him. And then similarly at the wedding feast where this couple had run out of wine, he didn't rock up and perform the miraculous conception because that couple needed wine, not a baby. Well, not then anyway. <laughs> Jesus' good deeds helped where they were most needed. And so ours must be the same. We're not the hero, Jesus is. And so we help people to get better and we point people to Jesus through our good deeds. We give a hand up and not a hand out. Have you ever watched those makeover shows? You know, the move that bus. And I always like am wiping away tears. But then sometimes I would be like, 
how are those people going to pay the power bill with all the fancy lights and all the technology? I don't know if anybody else thinks like this, but these are just some thoughts that go through my head. Or how are they going to pay the mortgage? Are they going to be able to keep that house that has just been done up? And that's giving done with the right heart, but um, maybe not done so well. And I've also seen giving done really well. Um, one example close to us is the angel tree. So you might have seen it out the, in the foyer at Christmas time. And so if you don't know what that's about, we take a tag off that tree and each, child, each tag has a child's name on it and that child has a parent who's in prison. And so we buy a gift on behalf of the parent. We don't go in and buy extravagant gifts. They give you a, a gift that they would like to buy for their child. There's also a budget attached, so there's a set amount that you spend on it. And I think this is done really well because it's honouring the relationship between the parent and child. You're not going to buy extravagant gifts and then have the parents sitting there feeling stink because they can't provide that for their kids and you don't have the child feeling resentful that their parent can't provide those kind of gifts. So I really love this way of giving because the gift doesn't even, isn't even addressed from us, it's addressed from the parent. But we're able to step in and do a good deed and then it keeps that relationship, it honours the relationship between the parent and the child. It's also really important in our giving to go the extra mile. Does anybody know where that saying com comes from? I learned it just recently. And in Bible times, Roman soldiers had the legal authority to ask anyone to carry their gear. I would imagine it was really heavy. Um, and so they could offload the gear to someone. And if you got asked, then you had to do it, but only for one mile. And so if they asked you, you had to do it. And a Roman mile was 1,000 steps. So once you did your 1,000 steps, I could imagine myself like doing the smallest steps possible. But you did your 1,000 steps and then you could hand the gear back to the officer. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And that's the extra mile. And Jesus was saying here that we go above and beyond. You know, a Roman soldier might make you walk one mile, but you're going to give glory to God by going the extra mile. And that's how we can look at our giving. How can we go the extra mile? Not because we have to, we're going to because we get to bless others. And I've been on the receiving end of lots of good deeds and people going the extra mile. Um, parents will understand each time that we've had a child, we've had people drop off meals and any meal when you have a newborn is really helpful. But we've had people just go the extra mile, get the sides, get the fancy bread and it's just been such a blessing to have that. And um, I've had people fold my washing, come over to visit and like fold Mount Everest of washing. It doesn't have to cost anything. I've had people vacuum my house. And I, I say those things because that was the help that was needed at the time. Not necessarily how they may have wanted to give it because I'm sure, because my kids are so cute, that those people would have rather sat and cuddled the baby 
than clean my house, but do you get what I'm, where I'm going with this? That we help in the way that's needed, and it might not always be in the way that we want to give it. And that seeing a need and meeting a need and going the extra mile with it. So how about we go the extra mile in our giving? What can you do this week even to bless somebody? I love the declaration that Pastor Trinity used last week, so I'm going to tahai that, I'm going to steal that, and add a piece on the end because it was good. And so it said, God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will trust in riches. I will not trust in riches, sorry, better get that right, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more, and then a tag on the end, and do more. And I suggest that you write that down. It's a great declaration. Uh, if you're doing night school, you'll understand, but we've been learning about writing declarations about ourselves, about our family, about our health. And we can write this about our finances, that um, because we have more, we will give more and do more, even if it's that last line. Because as we declare it, we will start to see it happening. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. So number one, my good deeds are going to point to God and not me. Number two, my good deeds must help in the way that people need it, not in the way that I want to give it. And lastly, my good deeds will glorify God through his church. Through the church is you and I. The church is not a building, it's people. And we are called to glorify God in the way that we live. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. How can you live that out in your life? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us motivate one another to do good deeds. Let's cheer each other on. You know, in New Zealand, we're so good at cheering sports teams, right? Even to the point, this always gets me, and sometimes I call my dad out on it, but even to the point of yelling at TV screens and at people and referees that can't even hear us. Like, imagine if we put that much effort into cheering each other on to do good deeds. Hey, I saw the way that you blessed that person. That was awesome. Keep going. Let me help you. Come on, let's get involved. Why don't you come and visit this person with me? Because I, I can see that they need it, but I'm just feeling a little bit awkward in doing that. Would you come with me? You know, how about we get together and do some baking for this person? How can we cheer each other on and motivate one another to do good deeds? Verse 24 again says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. It's when we meet together that we can motivate one another to do good deeds. So in this case, coming to church once a month is not going to cut it. Just gently remind you of that. Let's get together regularly and encourage one another in our giving. If I could get the team to come. Acts chapter 4 verse 33 to 34a says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all 
that there were no needy persons among them. That's huge for back then. They had no refrigerators. You know, they surely would have seen people eating and being sick. We see the lame man, the deaf person. And so for them to not have any needy person among them is really big. And so God's plan is the church. And the church is not a building like we said, it's us. And the church has actually equipped us to do more than any government agency or benefit can. We learn that money promises what only God can provide. And we know the solution and his name is Jesus. And so we have a unique responsibility to be able to, like those stars, to point people to him, to do the good deeds, to talk to the supermarket checkout person, to buy the next person's groceries, to buy the next person's coffee. But in all of that, to point people to the God who can heal them, who can supply all their needs. And so imagine if people look to the church for a hand up and into the arms of Jesus instead of to the government for a handout. How powerful would that be? So would you stand with me this morning?